0: podcast of the Jazz Journalists Association, where we discuss news and views from those in the jazz media, writers, broadcasters, photographers, videographers, and other professionals documenting the entire ecosystem of jazz. Hello, my name is Andrew Gilbert, and I'm the host of Episode 10 of The Buzz, the podcast of the Jazz Journalists Association. I've been a freelance writer full-time since about 1998. I mostly write for newspapers, but have contributed to magazines, various online publications, writing about jazz, international music, dance, general arts and culture reporter. Marcus, why don't you take it?
1: Sure. My name is Marcus J. Moore. I am a, an author and music journalist covering jazz and experimental music. These days, mostly for the New York Times and NPR. But over the years, I've also written about hip hop and all kinds of music for Pitchfork, Entertainment Weekly, Rolling Stone, et cetera. Two years ago, I had a book come out about Kendrick Lamar called The Butterfly Effect. And now I'm currently going gray, writing my second book about uh, De La Soul. Uh, called High and Rising for HarperCollins.
2: I am Mike West. Maybe I'm the only jazz specialist here, but that's what I've been writing about since 2005 or, or thereabouts. It's almost all I write about. I've somehow managed to make a living doing that, which boggles everybody's mind, my own not least. I'm the review editor for Jazz Times, as well as a contributor to the Washington Post, Washington City Paper, to NPR, to Bandcamp, where actually Marcus brought me into the Bandcamp fold many years ago, and lots of others, but I can't seem to think of them right now. Well, so we're
0: talking today really about the online journalism scene for jazz, and I thought I just sort of put it to both of you guys, how you see the landscape now. Do you see it as a realm that's expanding, that's ripe with opportunities for writers and people entering the profession? Is it Has it seen its best days? Where do you see it going now?
2: Well, I can certainly say for myself, it's been fascinating to watch the reversal of positions wherein when I started, if you want to stable, a, a stable venue for contribution. You looked for a print venue, and then you hoped that the online venues that you applied to or filed with would stick around long enough for it to have an effect. And now, of course, it's exactly the opposite. You, If you want something stable, you you go to an online venue, and you hope that the print venues you write for aren't going to fade away into oblivion. So that's been a fascinating transition to Mark.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree with that. And also I would add on top of that, just getting jazz coverage now is a lot easier than it was in years past, where some of the people that I'm sure we all jump up and down about getting them to to be reviewed and pitchfork or some of these big publications was almost impossible. Whereas now it's pretty easy. I can only imagine that in years past, it would have been difficult to get somebody like a Damon Locks, you know, Black Monument Ensemble reviewed in a big way. Whereas now, it just totally is like, well, yeah, you know, you pitch it and it, and it makes sense. Admittedly, while I don't have as much experience in like the print realm, because by the time, mostly my print was covering like education and stuff like that, so I'm used to newspapers in that sense. But in terms of the online platform. I feel like like it's like what Mike said, where that's the place that you go to, but there's still nothing like print though. And I feel like print is always going to be around, even though it's not as prominent as it was, it's not going anywhere. And there's still nothing like seeing your byline in print. Absolutely.
0: It's been really interesting seeing in the Bay Area, the way in which the newspapers, like everywhere, are really hurting. There's less and less space. So placing stories is is always a challenge. But the rise of hyperlocal websites covering, you know, in the East Bay, there's Berkeley side, there's the Oakland side, there's several in San Francisco. There's a lot of opportunities for writing uh, about jazz because there's a lot to cover. And I'm wondering if either of you have sort of seen that where you are, that making an impact is that opening up opportunities.
2: Well, one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm glad you mentioned hyperlocal, because I feel that the hyperlocal websites and things like that have actually forced the legacy print publications to compete in that way. Certainly, as I, I wrote, write local jazz reviews for the Washington Post, which, number one, as Marcus pointed out, is much easier to convince them to do now. But number two, it's also easier to convince them to cover the local musicians who, on the one hand, are, are superlative talents anyway, but on the other hand, you know, if you look back at as late as the early 2000s into the Washington Post archives, they were covering the national and international bands coming to Blues Alley or the Kennedy Center, and that's all she wrote. Now, because of hyper uh, hyperlocal websites, I think we all know Capital Bop, for example, Giovanni Russinello's website, Those guys have really forced the Washington Post and other legacy print publications to look down those less traveled paths in terms of of big time coverage and and put their names in print and, and put them into the style section or the art section or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. And that's why, Mike, I wanted you to start first, because I feel like you really <laughs> own that space. And I'm going say this lightly, and I think I've told you this, where if I want to know what's happening in D.C. jazz, if I just want to know what's happening in the jazz spirit, I'm going to tap into what you're doing because you have your finger on that pulse. And so I can only speak for my time covering super local music when I was still in the D.C. area. Admittedly, I haven't done a whole lot of that now because I guess my writing is just sort of taking me um down different down different lanes but to mike's point i feel like hyper local is always going to be necessary in music coverage because again if nothing else at at the core of print journalism one journalist doesn't want to get beat by another <laughs> so <laughs> so when when you're covering music for a place like a washington city paper and you're unearthing all of this like really super dope stuff that you'll see at these different venues whether it was H.R. 57 or Bohemian Cavern or something like that. The Washington Post can't help but look at that and be like, dag, okay, how come we didn't have that? Or how come we didn't know about this? So I think at its heart, print journalism is always going to be that. And so in any city you go to, it's probably that relationship. Admittedly, I don't know as much about the New York scene as I should and that in terms of like local jazz journalism But I would imagine it's still the same tenets as it was, as I remember it in D.C. So
0: as we're talking, I'm thinking about I got my start in um, really got paid for my first piece in 1989. So it was very much a a print world and freelanced for the next five or six years and so, so when I first started writing in Los Angeles, I would go out and, and be reviewing shows. And I there was Leonard Feather. There was Don <laughs> I mean, there were guys who, like, some serious history there. And in the Bay Area, when I started writing here in the mid-90s, it wouldn't be unusual. You know, someone, McCoy Tyner would be opening a week-long run at Yoshi. So you're there Tuesday night to review. And there would be seven or eight other, yeah, uh, yes. Yeah six or seven other journalists there who were also covering the show. So there was a real sense of of sort of community and and you were part of something. And I mean, that has changed even given what we're talking about. Well, there's this opportunities there. There's a lot of places to write for. I'm often the only person out covering something now. And, and of course, reviewing places are there's much less space for reviewing. People want features much more than reviews. I'm wondering... What you guys have seen with that, that sort of continuity, that sense of like, you know, that we're part of this journalistic world that's been there for, you know, generations and we're stepping in. And if you feel if you're sort of connected to that, if you've seen to felt that generational connection.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll jump in there. I feel like I feel like jazz journalists and jazz audiences are always going to know what's the big show. So, I go with this recent example where I I think it was 2018, Micaiah McCraven was playing at LPR up here and he was bringing everybody with him. So, it was going to be Micaiah with Shabaka Hutchings with Nabaya, like everybody was on the record. And so, it was just this weird sort of groundswell that I I can't fully articulate where everybody knew that was the gig. Like, even if you weren't a jazz head or jazz journalist, you knew to be at that show. You know, a good buddy of mine who was still living up here at the time. She isn't really into jazz, but she was like, I just I felt like everybody was going to be there. So I needed to go to that. So I definitely still feel that up here. You know, there are certain gigs that people just know to go to, like if Shabaka's in town or, you know, rest her soul, Jamie was playing stuff like that. So you just knew to go to it. But to your point, for the most part, yes, it, it, it can feel like it is just me or like me and Hank me and hank steamer or like me and like geo
2: <laughs>
1: and that's it like you know you don't see i would know if i go to a certain gig i'm gonna see either one of those guys or like martin johnson i'm gonna mm-hmm. see one of them i'm not gonna see anybody else at times it can feel a, a a bit it can feel a bit lonely in that way you know because you're like okay there's this amazing art that's happening on stage clearly everybody should be here and should be loving this right but then you're the only person there, so. That part's a little unsettling, but at the same time, like I was saying earlier, people just know what the gig is. So like this this past weekend, I want to say that was up here. It was Archie Shep and Jason Moran, I believe. And I saw a whole bunch of people going to that. So I I think it's always going to be that sort of connectivity between jazz community, jazz journalists. It's just it's a very intuitive thing between the two audiences. I
2: think. I'm a little bit more divided on this than Marcus is, and that is partly because DC is just a much smaller ecosystem than what we're talking about, than than what he's talking about. And it's especially small now, post-pandemic, because so many of the important venues that were here for jazz have gone. Twins Jazz has closed on U Street at Soto, around the corner from... Twins is gone. It's a much smaller system of venues. And it's also a much... People are still very skittish about going out in that sense. So there is a community of people. And a lot of the times there are people I will call and say to come with. me. When Marcus was here, I used to call him and have him come out with me. But it's still... It's tentative right now in ways that... uh, on the one hand, I sort of intellectually know, will flourish again. But on the other hand, it feels very... uh, I hesitate to say something like tepid because it sounds so pejorative, but it just feels a little... It feels uncertain of how things are going to recover from this. And the knowledge that when it does recover, it will still be kind of a long, slow process. Because DC, as great as the music is and as great, as many great musicians as there are, there's less of a built in audience, I think, than in New York and probably less than in the Bay Area as well. It just feels a little bit more uncertain. I, I guess that's the best word I can come up with.
0: I'm thinking about how often when I've done classes or taught classes at the At UC Berkeley, the Graduate School of Journalism and focus on freelancing. How does how do you put together a a career in freelancing? And I want to put that to you guys is how do you, in making decisions about pursuing work, pitching stories, accepting assignments, how you go about this as, as a business, as as a trade, how you think about it, prioritizing the things you really want to cover that are, you know, that are really heartfelt versus things that are going to might pay better? Do you have a minimum fee for word count? Give me a sense of how, how you guys think that through and, and, and make that work.
1: Well, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I always knew that I was into different music anyway. You know, I always knew that, yes, I can have an appreciation for like the quote unquote mainstream stuff, but I knew that there was a whole other audience stuff out here, a whole other audience of music, you know, of music listener. So I'm just going to stay on that path. So I guess to answer your question, I just I make it a point to just cover stuff that isn't being covered, for the lack of a better term, because this is stuff that I like. It's not me being contrarian. It's just like, yeah, OK, this this is cool over here. But what about this record over here? So that's sort of how I've how I've governed what I do. and. I don't know. It's it just somewhere along the way, it just, I guess it just kind of worked out. You know, I wish I had like a, a science as to how it happened, but I just stayed there and then just just stuck with it. Because my whole thing was, yes, there's a there's a ton of writing out here already about the Kanye's and Drake's and whatnot. They don't need my little 700 words to add to this narrative. As far as what I do to to sort of pick and choose, thankfully, I'm also at a place where I don't have to write about anything I don't want to write about. I tend to just try to pitch stuff that's, I guess, for the lack of a better term, again, provocative, you know, stuff that's not the same old same. So whether it's something with The New York Times and I'm like, okay, well, Damon Locks has never been in there. Pink Sifu has never been in there. Neither has more mother. Why aren't they? We should go ahead and get those people the same type of coverage that you would give somebody else. So I just tend to do that. And in terms of word count, it's for me, at least it's at least a dollar per word. At least I can't go below that. And I, and I think maybe as I'm talking about it, maybe the career stuff is sort of worked out because I just won't code switch. It's like I'm if there's something that's an opportunity, I might make some concessions, but I, I don't make it a habit. Uh, to do that. Like, if it's a new publication, I want to go for
0: it. Fascinating. I love that. That's sort of the, I think of it as the hit them where they ain't strategy. You know, the stuff that's not being covered, that's, that's, and that you love, that's, or find interesting. That's where you go.
2: I think you have to do that because readers can identify really quickly if you're not interested in the things that you're writing about, and that doesn't make them interested in it either that said, I find one of the things I'd love to do is to read about the old time cats, especially because they'll talk about what a hustle it was. And, and that's the way I look at this is it's really a hustle. And there are times when I've sent out three or four pitches a day, all stuff that I really wanted to write about, but <laughs> knowing that it was possible, I wasn't going to get any of them to bite and, and just, throwing it out there in the hopes that one of these will catch somebody's attention. So it's a, it's a difficult process. And it doesn't always help that you're writing about the stuff that's less covered because it's, you're on unproven ground and that makes editors and publications generally, it's more of a climb to convince them to give you a dollar per word in a lot of cases on stuff like that, that they don't know is going to get drive any traffic in the case Mm -hmm. of an online publication venue. When you're a freelancer, you're a hustler, maybe using fancier terminology for it, but that's really what it comes down to. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Marcus, I got to say props to you. Dollar word is kind of the, and above is the Holy grail. I know, you know, most of my work, San Francisco Chronicle, the San Jose Mercury News, the you know newspapers are not paying a dollar a word and you know I sort of make it on volume by just like pounding out stories 5 6 a week you know with, to make a living in the bay area and the idea of having more time getting a fee that justifies spending more time and crafting a piece and thinking about it is is definitely what I'm always sort of thinking about but just That's, you know, not been the way things have, my career has developed. So it's great to hear you're,
1: you're doing that. I mean, I'm doing the best I can, seriously, but it's also a matter of, and I guess this is also another piece of advice for whomever, just know your worth. I understand that it's tough, but at the same time, don't live below your name if you don't need to, you know, I know that that's hard to say. And I know that 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 sounds kind of crazy, but as much as you can you got to push for what you're worth because no one else is going to fight for you. Like you're going to fight for yourself.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And just to go with this idea of, of being the person who knows what's happening, that's not being covered. I know my staying busy has meant really being open to the whole jazz adjacent world in terms of Brazilian music, Cuban music, all, all Latin American music where it intersects, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, thinking a lot of it is, is African diaspora music, but it it might include classical Indian music or traditional Irish music where you have the world's greatest artists either living here or performing. And you can go to an editor and say, you know, Zakir Hussain is doing a recital. You're going to look really bad if we don't cover this, (laughs) like this is really important. And, you know, and having, around long enough, having those relationships to get that assignment through asserting when things are really important. That's, that's been a huge part of my staying busy and, and, and keeping work coming in. I'm curious for, for both of you, one thing that I felt watching sort of the online world develop, you know, as and expand is what it has done. Well, let's say, let me step back in the print world you kind of had the the big sort of the three modes major modes of writing in terms of voice was you know you have daily which was obviously sort of the least voice generally allowed the sort of straightest the you had the alt, alt weeklies which a lot more you know freedom and and magazines which obviously depends which publication but it could be a lot more latitude and the online world broke that open in a lot of ways obviously because you could have your people's blogs there there was just a, a lot more leeway and I'm, I'm wondering if if you felt in your work that the way you can experiment with your voice as a writer what you could do how you could express develop ideas about music has, has changed or um, marcus in your case i'm wondering given different online venues as you were saying came on to it with online world was already really you know established
1: yeah it's I guess it's across the board because at a place like the Times, obviously you got to play it straight, you know, like you alluded to. And if you only have 1,200 words, that sounds like a lot. But once you start getting into it, it's not really a whole heck of a lot you can do there. I found that it's different. So I also have a newsletter and that's more so my voice. I found that those are the pieces that people really go for because it is a little more freer form. It's a lot more voice. And it's also not Particularly long, so like you know, if it's a thing that's between six hundred and a thousand words, that's typically all people have a a penchant for anyway. (laughs) So I found out to be the sweet spot. So it's for me, it's changed depending on the publication. So you have a place like Pitchfork where they let you use your voice to a certain extent, but then you also have a place like, say, Bandcamp that'll just kind of it's a green light. And the people over there are very open-minded and they let you just kind of go there. So I guess I would tell anybody listening, like, just go to the places like that, where if you, if you know, you have a very active voice, you know, a place like a band camp or pitchfork is probably the way to go. However, if you're talking like prestige and you got to go with like, you know, the legacy pubs or the alt weeklies, because more people will see that. So I guess to sort of put a pin on on the question, I guess it's still evolving for me, you know, because just sort of the scope of the internet and web-based writing is evolving day per day, week per week anyway.
2: I would agree wholly with everything Marcus said, but I would add to that that it's important not to be afraid to take your cues from the writers who are already at those publications. When I'm starting at a new publication for the first time, the first thing I do is go through the current issue, the current day of publication, whatever, find the things that pop for me, and I'll take that, okay, copy, paste, here's the word count now in Microsoft Word. I know how many words this person had to work with and find the things that they did that made it work within that word count is. I had a book I loved in college called Reality is What You Can Get Away With. And that's the way I look at the different kinds of publications now is find the writers that you like who work for those publications. What could they get away with when they were working for them? And, and that's your new parameter.
0: You guys, we should wrap this up. There's so many topics we haven't even come close to. I'm, I'm thinking of you know just pitching. And anyway, it's, it's really a pleasure. Marcus J. Moore, Michael West. Thank you both so much. It's really just uh, a pleasure hanging with you for a little bit.
2: Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Likewise. Sponsors of the JJA activities include the Berklee School of Music,
0: Joyce and George Ween Foundation, Jazz Foundation of America, and SF Jazz, San Jose Jazz, Stanford Jazz Workshop, Monterey Jazz Festival Kumba Workshop, and the Peabody Conservatory. The Buzz is produced by Jeffrey Siegel, and features the music of John Michaels performing the tune Big Vic. Thank you for listening, and please come back in two weeks for the next edition of The
1: Buzz.